0: All right, Steve Palmer here with another edition of Lawyer Talk. Uh, as everybody knows, I, we have tackled all sorts of topics. We've talked to all sorts of guests. And uh, despite the name Lawyer Talk, it is not all that common that I actually talk to other lawyers. But today is an exception. I have uh, uh, Mark Satawa, phenomenal criminal defense lawyer. Uh, in fact, Mark does exactly what I do for a living, uh, by and large. Uh, but you do it up in Michigan. Mark, how are you doing? Steve,
1: good to be here. Thanks.
0: Thanks for coming down. Uh, so all the way from Michigan, here to pair on Lawyer Talk. Uh, let's uh, let's sort of start at the beginning, man. Introduce yourself.
1: Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, right? Our, right. our relationship goes a little bit deeper than uh, than coming down just to say hi on Lawyer Talk. It, it but... wasn't
0: that Lawyer Talk is just that famous <laughs> that you called me out of the blue and well, wanted to be on it, it.
1: It's It's on its way up. I mean, right. we're, you're getting there. Um, getting there. You know, the word's spreading fast like wildfire.
0: Uh, all the way to Detroit.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so uh, I um, I'm in my early fifties. I graduated law school from 1990 in 1992 from from Notre Dame Law School. Um, I went to uh, the University of Michigan as an undergrad. I've been practicing law, except for one year as a ski bum in 1993 uh, when I took a year off. Uh, had a little thing I had to deal with. A, I understand. A real reset button on life. Um, I've been practicing law since 1992. I started in the attorney general's office doing civil civil tax fraud and tax fraud cases took a year off taught skiing tended bar and vale came back worked in wayne county prosecutor's office for five years um that's the county detroit is in um
0: you see how you glossed that though like work in the prosecutor's office for five years so you got a prosecutor background
1: yeah you know and it's interesting because it was a great job and um, I worked with, with, with not great, not good, great lawyers. Um, and the experience of course, I was six months in the office and uh, my first jury trial was about four months out in the office, it was beanie of a coin box. You know, somebody busted a payphone back when we had payphones, but busted a payphone open for the $13.75 in quarters. My second jury trial was a second degree murder. And, uh, and so, you know, it's talk about learning fast, right? It's yeah. baptism by fire. You get the, you, the experience is great. Um, you know, the, the networking, you're, you're meeting all the judges, you're, you're meeting the players in the building. Um,
0: well, I think a lot of it, I mean, you know, a couple of things, you know, my dad was a prosecutor for, uh, in fact, United States attorney for a bit and he was also a law professor, but he always said this, that, uh, uh being a prosecutor, it's a great place. To cut your teeth, start your career as an attorney. No matter where you go, for the reasons you're talking about, right? Because you learn all sorts of stuff. You learn how to file something. You learn how to. You learn who the judges are. What 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 to do in a courtroom.
1: And, and you know, in, and in my case in Detroit, um, you know, it, it's not like we had a a high tech, you know, well-staffed office. I mean, I was you know getting my own subpoenas. out. I was filing, like you said, filing my own motions, doing my own research, drafting my own pleadings and i didn't have a secretary i was my secretary i didn't have a clerk i was my clerk you know we'd have interns in the summer and stuff like that but yeah i mean it is a full all uh encompassing you know uh indoctrination and bath plunge into the deep end of practicing law particularly criminal law
0: uh which is brings me to the next thing my dad always says uh, but most people stay too long and And that, that's always been his criticism is that and i 'm not going to indict everybody who's who's made a career out of prosecuting cases, but I, I we have all seen the people that have that have been at the prosecutors too long where they sort of they get maybe even a little grumpy or sort of lose perspective uh, lose perspective or or it just becomes a job that's mundane and they, they don 't like it, so they the, the discretion that they're granted isn't necessarily
1: exercised even at all. Um, Two main problems with staying in the prosecutor's office long. Now I was there for five years, and I knew when it was time to go. I mean, I it was a it was a light bulb moment, an epiphany where I was just like, you know what, this job has run its course. It's ready. I'm ready to walk out. Um, two problems though. First one is what you just talked about. It's that idea of being a public servant. You're a civil servant. You may have a law degree, you may be a lawyer, but you're still a civil servant, right? You you become. You become addicted like crack to that paycheck to the benefits, to the retirement plan, to that you become a slave to it. I mean yep. it, it's that it's that civil service mentality. Problem one. Problem two, and much more problematic for guys like you and me and what we do for a living is the sort of righteous indignation that it breeds that that every file the person is guilty, you know they deserve to go to prison. That you know that, that we're not going to look at these pe- these cases and and what's going on behind these cases as individuals. You know there's not people behind them. the Person's a father. He's a son. He's a brother. He's a husband. He's a whatever. You know um, and and quite frankly, you know, like anything else in life, there's two sides to every story. Mistakes get made. Some cases are better than others. And you and I have had conversations as recent as yesterday, where we've talked about how you mean you tell me that you want to put my client in jail for 18 months on a simple gun possession case, but you'll let him have six months on a on a on a on a on rape a, on a date rape, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, so it's it's that kind of like you know like it, it, you you lose the forest through the individual trees. And you get that righteous indignation, like, you know, well, you know, you understand, Steve, that trespassing is a crime. Yes, I understand it's a crime. But sure. you know, the question is, is how should we punish that crime? And does a guy who had a handgun in a car that may have been put there by someone else, does that person need to go to prison for 18 months?
0: Or even if not by somebody else, right? So where does that you know, we all understand and, and maybe this is this is part of it that uh people don't get. Prosecutors have enormous discretion, enormous discretion to uh, resolve cases, to recommend sentence, or to not even prosecute uh, at the outset. And if I, I have found when prosecutors lose that discretion uh, in their career somewhere along the way, uh, and, and just, most do, and most do, and instead just start checking boxes and counting coup or whatever they're doing, uh, or not caring at all, even worse, uh, then that is when we see bad results in the criminal system. I think there's got to be baked into what makes our adversarial system work is that prosecutorial discretion exercised properly.
1: How many times have you been, and I completely agree with you by the way, and it's, it's, it's very well said. And, and, and quite frankly, the old idea about power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely these, the, the, the discretion and the, the power that they wield, sure. the power to charge a citizen with a crime, multiple crimes, and not only, a to, not only charging with a crime, but deciding which crime. Yeah. Right. I mean, how serious? I mean, you, there's always a scale. Do I charge up here? Do I charge down here? Do I charge in the middle? And like you said, that's based on the discretion that if you lose, that power is going to become a very, very dangerous thing. And so how many times have I, have you, had us that, that deal that do these things have been in a conference room with a prosecutor? Sometimes even with a prosecutor and a judge, if the judge is asking you, Steve, why is this case going to trial? And you look at the prosecutor, you look at the judge and you say, well, because, Judge, my client's innocent. He didn't do it. And they got. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, come on, Paul. yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they, they laugh at you. And you're like, I wasn't
0: joking. We're going to get into this because this is part of my, one of the things I always ask the jury later when we talk about, we're, we're going to talk specifically about some child sex abuse defense because I know you do a lot of it. But one of the things I always say is just give me a show of hands. How many people think actually false allegations happen? Right. And you get hands all over the place. False allegations happen. Um, how many think it's happening here right now? It's crickets, right? Because nobody thinks, like every prosecutor, and and I'm using some superlatives here, maybe not every prosecutor, because I did say this once on the air, and I had a prosecutor email that says, oh, no, I dismissed plenty of child sex abuse cases. And to that individual's credit, uh, I believed him, you know, because he he was a good prosecutor. But by and large, no prosecutor, uh, no uh, detective, no uh, hospital staff, or anybody else you would get on one of those kind of cases thinks it's happening in the case they're working on. 100%,
1: 100%, Steve, truer words have never been spoken, right? Because because it always happens. It happens all the time. It's just not happening right now. Right.
0: We got this one right for
1: sure. There's every time.
0: Which by implication means that every other false allegations that's been proven false, either by recantation, DNA, or whatever solid, concrete, believable evidence you might come up with 15 years after the dude's been sitting in a prison. Uh, you know, they they that somehow was a more sinister prosecution where they were they were pursuing some sort of uh, bad motive.
1: Right. When you look backwards, you can always see these straw men and these red herrings that should have been noticed, but of course, as it's happening, they're never noticed. And you know, the other question to ask jury, because look, you and I are the same way, Steve. Right. I mean, we're we're regular people. We're, we're fathers. We're husbands. I mean, we have a family. You know, I'm driving down, the to, coming down US-23 to, uh, to come down for the show, and I see a state trooper with a person pulled over. The first thought to my mind isn't, well, I wonder what that person's presumed innocent of, right? It's like, right. the first thing I think, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. What do I think? What the hell did that guy do? What's he
0: right? do? It? And you see another car behind it. Oh, it must be dope. But right? <laughs> it, must, it yeah. must be
1: something bad. Right. Right? Oh,
0: there's a dog. Right. <laughs> no way, that guy's innocent. Right? <laughs> right. And, and I, I guess you had to make that shift. So back to this circles right back to it. So for after five years, now you're sitting on the defense side. How's that happened? Because now, you, now you've got to make that shift.
1: I got to tell you, um, I loved being a prosecutor. It was a great five year experience. And the experience, as I said, was 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 fantastic. But if you ask me to choose, I would choose being a criminal defense attorney over a prosecutor a hundred times out of a hundred. It is in my opinion, as as lawyers look if 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 you were to ask me what I wanna do for a living, I'd be playing ball, right? I think we all would, you know, when we were kids, we all grow up thinking, I wanna be a ball player. I wanna play football, I wanna play baseball, you know. I, those are the people that love what they do. So I have to get paid to do this. I have no bones about that. Right. If I'm gonna miss hanging out with my kids all the time, I you know, the clients need to pay me to do that job. But as it as it relates to jobs that you get paid for, it's a it is the best job a lawyer can do in my opinion it is the it is the one job referenced in the constitution of the united states criminal defense lawyers are and it's the one job that i feel where you truly it's atticus finch right it's clarence darrow sure. it's 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 the one thing where you get to stand up and you get to stand for something and that something typically is you and i are the one thing standing between and this is the genius The genius of our system of government is that there are 12 people that get to stand between you and the tyranny of our government, whatever the government's trying to do to any one individual uh, uh, citizen. So rather than the government just being able to say, hey, Steve, we think you committed a crime, you're going to jail. No, 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 12 people have to agree unanimously beyond a reasonable doubt that you committed that crime before we get to put you in jail, and you and I, have the privilege, the honor, and the thrill, quite frankly, of being the lawyer that stands up to the government, puts the you know, taps the client and say, Hey, I got your back, I got this, and get to stand up in front of I'm the government. I'm with you. No
0: matter who you are, I'm with you.
1: I'm here, I'm with you, and I and I will be the one taking the bullets, making the argument and standing for something. And and I think that's great. I, it's awesome.
0: Well a couple of things. Um first of all, I, I had a good – and it sort of summarizes what you said maybe in a nutshell. I had a good friend of mine who does this kind of work too, and he, he had this interesting way to put it. He said we do this really for three reasons. We do it for our ego, we do it for the cause, and we do it for money. Sometimes one is more important than the other, right? right. But, it, but when you talk about ego, we do get to feel good about helping people. I mm-hmm. think. And then the cause, I think you stated it, and I don't think it can be overstated as, as much as as much as somebody might accuse us of being, you know, overly dramatic or cheesy or whatever, to say that look, we this is this makes it work. This makes the system work. Even when you've got a guilty guy, how can you defend all those guilty people? I mean, it is it's it's maybe it's overused and oversaid to say, well, because that's what makes the system works or makes the system work, but it is true. Right. It and is totally true. Not really true. Yeah. It's
1: it's easy. Yeah. Defending guilty people is easy. Yes. I get to go home and sleep tonight if my guy's guilty. I mean, if he goes to prison, he goes to prison. He did what he did. That's
0: funny. That's always my uh, can Defend in the innocent too. people. Yeah, try that.
1: <laughs> That's stressful. Yeah, try right? that.
0: Try standing up there with a guy who's charged with a crime that if he loses, he never sees the light of day or he dies. Try that. Right. I, I, I beg anybody out there to try that and do it when you know in your heart of hearts that he's innocent. or or at least as much as you could know that correct yes
1: absolutely absolutely
0: and try to try to go to bed at night uh on day one of trial try to go to bed at night on the week before trial without thinking about it and then try to live with it when the jury comes back with the wrong verdict
1: uh heaven forbid any trial lawyer who claims he's never lost a case is lying and any trial lawyer criminal defense lawyer who says he's never lost a case he should have won Is really lying.
0: Is really lying, right? Because we all have. Correct. And and, and how that impacts me, and I presume us, and most of us who do this, if not all of us, uh, is really, really hard to quantify. I mean, there are cases I'm sure you have, and certainly I have, that I will never forget. I could tell you the names if I could do it publicly, but I can't. I mean, I could list them. This guy should never have lost this case. This should never have happened. There's one case that became my albatross where the jury came back. 15 counts not guilty, one count guilty, and then asked me, so when's he get sentenced? I said, well, oh, it just happened. Right. What was the sentence? Life. Oh, life. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean
1: I mean life. Well, and they look at it, but we, we found him not guilty on 13 out of the 14. What do you mean right. he's getting life?
0: Yeah, life. Yeah, life. Oh, we thought no. the the whore in their eyes, really, was, was – was a sight to behold, and now that became my albatross. I got it reversed on appeal. I mean, I did, I did hours and hours and hours, maybe, maybe years of free work to get that individual out of the mess again on, in the court of appeals, and I was successful.
1: Child sexual abuse, date rape, campus sexual assault, um, shaken baby, abusive head trauma, medical child abuse. These cases that 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 I'm known for, that that I know you are known, that you are known for, um, these are not cases where people get probation. Right. (laughs) Okay. Right. And um, I had one recently, um, you know, recent within the last five years, where I mean, if you were to ask me, the one recent case I tried that I firmly believe the client was innocent, I should have won it. um, The jury convicted him of first degree child abuse. Um, It was just an awful case on any number of of fronts, including the the stunts and the antics of the prosecutor. You you do enough of this work to know how often the Supreme Court in any state, um, but the Supreme Court in this case in Michigan, in your case Ohio, but in this case Michigan, reverses cases because of prosecutorial misconduct. This this conviction sure, was rare bird to be sure right? reversed because of prosecutorial misconduct. My client walked out of prison. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. Just just. Just opposed with one of the worst moments of the of my life when the jury read that verdict of guilty, and in between there, three years, of sitting in prison, for a crime, I don't believe this client committed. Like you said, try to fall asleep. Right every day, and then when with that on your conscience,
0: get that guilty verdict, go back to your office, put the box where it belongs, wherever that might be in the office. Storage, right and then come in the next day and and start returning all the calls you missed and try to do that, concentrate. It it is unlike any other profession that way Mm -hmm. in, in in a lot of ways, but it also comes with a lot of satisfying moments. The problem is, like you said, it's like the highest point and the lowest point. I guess it's no secret that uh people that do what we do end up with all sorts of their own personal problems right <laughs> they,
1: they gamble they drink they do drugs they, you know right I'm sure yeah right. it's you give something.
0: all the good stuff to the people you're helping and then and you save the bad for you right um well, well back to it so you've been doing criminal defense now for you've, the first five years were prosecutor and then criminal defense since
1: 1999 so i am i've just completed my 20th year of practicing criminal defense work
0: and and i guess i, I meant to do this earlier but we'll just do it now i mean we met about what 10 years ago
1: yeah, and it's a great story and it, it's actually had some ups and some actual personal downs for, for 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 both of us you more than me but uh yeah it was uh you know i mean just one of those things where i had a child sexual abuse case uh the person hired me um it ended up being charged in columbus ohio um, uh i believe it was out of uh, guyana right uh
0: it was Gahana,
1: Gahana. sorry and
0: uh it ended up in franklin county here in yep. columbus yep.
1: yep and i needed local counsel um, I got to Eric through yeah. NACDL, National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. You were Eric's partner. You and you and I met and we hit it off immediately. And quite frankly, even when, when Eric was still with us, you sort of started replacing Eric and kind of taking a bigger and bigger role in the case as the case went on because you just had a flair for it. You had a knack for it, like I think I do. And uh, we not only became really good colleagues and a great team on that case, obviously we became friends as well. And that was...
0: It's, uh, and and this goes back to sort of my ego part of it, because I do think anybody who does what we do, we got big egos, right? And and that comes with big needs at times for our (laughs) egos. Otherwise we wouldn't do it, 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 it'd be too hard. But uh, Eric passed away in the middle of all that. And I remember a time uh, when now, actually before he passed away, I came back and you guys were working on the case. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't work on that case because we're going to butt heads you know it's like we're going to be there there's too many oh you, you know, and i yeah i yeah. remember thinking that we're going to have it, it's going to be tough uh and then Eric too many chef
1: away. head chefs <laughs> yeah too right. many head
0: chefs in the kitchen and no um, sous chef <laughs> and, and nobody to, to keep <laughs> right. us e- either of us in check right? right but uh it actually worked out great and and you know we did get that case resolved and that was one of those moments where i think both of us both felt that that guy had no business being in charge of crimes
1: well and it was obviously in the end a happy ending um i'll never forget the uh the words that his wife's had for us and and they were very genuine um she was deeply religious and very sincere in her religious beliefs and uh she certainly told us that she was going to pray for both of us and i think at the time we both felt we needed that i could have used it (laughs) right right Right. and uh i I just uh, yeah it was you like you said, just about any lawyer you're going to work with in a case like this with those kinds of stakes and that kind of um uh you know that kind of serious nature and level of of, of case with those kinds of, of consequences and the stakes being that high, that is you're gonna you're going to work with somebody who is your equal, which of course, like you said, means that there's going to be a certain level of butting of heads and and and, and too too many you know too many chiefs uh, you know um, you know and not yeah. enough uh, you know followers. But that that relationship quickly became as good or better than any relationship I've had working with another lawyer. Well,
0: I mean, and I think uh, dare I give us both a compliment here is I think we're both able to check that. And, and make the right decisions whatever they would be right if you wanted to do it one way i wanted to do it a different way i think we're both able to sort of reevaluate our positions and say all right that's the way to go um now with that here's what we're going to do we're going to take a little bit of break i know uh you have worked on lots and lots and lots of uh, big high profile cases i'm going to ask you about a few of them as after the break uh, uh, and then we'll go into some more stuff later on so awesome we'll, we'll be back All right, back from the break, uh, here with Mark Satawa. Now, Mark, uh, I promise we're going to talk about some of the big cases you've worked on, but uh, a couple more introductory things. Now, you've had a national presence, uh, and in fact, uh, you said you reached out to us or my law firm with Eric Yavich back, uh, you know, whenever that was, 10 years ago, uh, and you mentioned the National Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys, and you've been one of those lawyers that I've watched over the years, sort of lecture around the, the, the country and provide insight to others uh, on on everything criminal defense, but you've also had some, uh, you've focused a lot I know on child sex abuse, sex abuse in general, uh, shaking baby and some other stuff. We're gonna talk about that, but um, uh, there's some other big cases I know you've worked on just from knowing you as well as the media that I'd like to ask you about. But let me start by saying this, why would anybody ever confess to a crime they didn't commit? They must be guilty. Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, really, how many times you heard that? Yeah you have experience almost uh, you 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 can answer the question i suppose yeah. so let's start there
1: so you know the science and the psychology is fascinating and, and it probably exceeds the scope of uh, of 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 our show today but the point that we really know is is it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly why they do it but the one thing we do know for sure is that they do do it <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I've actually seen you on Netflix. Yes. So, uh, now that must make you famous, of course, well, but yeah, I right. mean, not as famous as lawyer talk, but <laughs> you know, uh, my
1: kids thought it was great that I was on Netflix and they, you know, the show has been shown in their high school and they ever, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they think it's great and I've come to their high school to talk about it, you know, so, but I got to tell you, you know, before we get to the Netflix thing, I represented a young man who was 18 years old, developed me disabled had the functional IQ of, of an eight-year-old and um, and he was arrested for a grisly murder rape and murder uh, in the in the city of Detroit um, the family hired me um, great people down to earth salt of the earth type folks and um, there was a full confession and I read this confession Steve five pages long you know every question initialed, Every answer to initialed, uh, not in his handwriting, but initialed, and then signed at the end, with with graphic details about how he snuck into this young woman's bedroom, through her door, through her window, violently sexually assaulted her, strangled her, and and killed her. And I'm thinking to myself. Yeah,
0: well now what? Now right. what? Where do we go from here? Let me, let me put that in context real quick because you know you and I understand how this goes. But people go and they they are they are arrested, they're interviewed by police in an interview room where it's usually uh almost always now video and audio taped, or at least we would hope so. Uh and then often the police will go to the next step and actually write out the questions this individual was asked, write out the answers or at least a very close approximation to the exact answers, and then have the guy initial it as to say you're really confessing, right? It's like not just on tape. Now you're really, really, really double secret confessing.
1: Well, this was, uh, this did not have the tape either fortunately or unfortunately, I suppose. But, you know, I mean, I was really, really worried about, you know, this confession is as any of us would be representing this young man. And, and I started looking at it and I said to myself, you know, this kid's got the functional IQ of an eight year old. And I mean, these, these these answers are, I mean, vocabulary and syntax and sentence structure and uh, you know, just words. There's no way he could use. Well, it turns out about a month into the case, we get all the forensics back from the crime lab and the DNA didn't match. So, the so scene, was,
0: he left DNA at the scene
1: or the, it, the killer. The killer raped this girl, ejaculated, left it inside her. It was sent to the G- crime lab and... It wasn't
0: him. Now, I've had cases like this, and maybe not exactly like the one you're describing. And then the answer you get, ironically, is not that your guy might be innocent. He was just there, but didn't leave a semen. Right. You know, he still the
1: unindicted co ejaculator, the, as Barry Sheck likes to call it. Yeah, yeah. the
0: unindicted co ejaculator, because there is no way they could have gotten it wrong. Right? Correct. There is no way they could have gotten it wrong. And this is like the making of a murder we see I mean, everybody's watched this now, yet they got it wrong.
1: And I was part of the civil lawsuit against the city of Detroit and the police department. And it was um, frightening how they got this young man to say what he said. And I, I knew that right then and there, as if I didn't have this lesson earlier in my legal career, yes, people confess to crimes they didn't commit.
0: And what shocks me is sort of back to the point I was just making about the unindicted co- co-ejaculator is... The willingness of those in the system, whether it be prosecutors, police, judges, everybody else, to not to simply say, "All right, we just made a mistake," right, but rather to come up with some theory that makes it work, and that theory is often tortured, uh, twisted, twisted, makes no sense whatsoever. If you came to that theory at the outset on the defense side, you'd be laughed out of a courtroom. Right, right. But they're using it against you (laughs) on on the on the prosecution side. tell us about the Netflix case.
1: So this is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Like, why does it happen? And you know, you and I both know doing this work that that I suppose the why is, is police are a lot better at interviewing suspects who are scared and lonely and anxious and nervous and freaked out and all those other things. um, Frequently because a loved one or a family member has been the victim of a crime, if not dead, and they have a technique that they go to school for. Yeah,
0: the read technique. Read and
1: I'm um, yeah. Imbau wrote a book and they, go, these police officers, these detectives go to the read method of interrogation, um, where they teach them.
0: Which by the way is old, right? Oh, yeah. it's, it's like
1: 20, 30 years old now, right?
0: I mean, so the psychologist and you've worked with them too. And I know you have, because of the cases you're talking about, you talk to the psychologist who assess false confessions. I mean, the read technique will get you a confession.
1: For well, sure, or the, not for sure, but the data, it, the statistics are overwhelming that it works, right?
0: But it only works to the extent that you believe it, right? It, it'll get you a confession, but it may not be true,
1: right? <laughs> that's the that's the problem. Well, and the in addition to that, it, you know, it gets you a confession. Now, whether that's really what happened or not, like you said, we don't yeah. know. But there's a reason it works, and it preys on every vulnerability that these scared, lonely, freaked out you know, overcome with grief, grief, people that every one of those emotions that they're going through. And it's, it's a targeted, we're going to break you down psychologically. We are going to lie to you, right? Which is sure. part of the read technique. They can mm-hmm. lie to me. No uh, rules. No rules. We can lie to you. We can misrepresent what evidence we have. We can tell you you're guilty. We can tell you we have five eyewitnesses. And then at the very, very end, after we've broken you down and we've cut off every possible escape route, we throw you the life preserver. Now, Steve, look. We understand you didn't mean to kill the person. It was an accident. We understand you didn't mean to shoot the person. You know, the gun went off when you were cleaning it. We don't, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. and and With
0: the implication that maybe you even get to go home today. Right. <laughs> right. right. Right, as opposed right. to spend the next Thirty-five or forty years in prison.
1: So the Netflix show, and and again, I know we're not using names. The the name is in the show. In fact, she's interviewed in the show. I still won't use her name, but uh, this is a mother um, who had a horrific relationship with her teenage daughter, and you know the the kind of teenage daughter mother relationship that you know they write books about and and, and do shows and movies. And uh, they were going on a vacation. In a couple of days and she was just refusing to go and it caused this just the the house was turned upside down and and the mom was frustrated and, and was famously as quoted as saying something along the lines of you know oh my god I hate her you know I wish she would you know I wish you'd be go away or what I and mean, she never said I want to kill her or, I wish you were dead but you know I hate her I wish she was uh, I wish she would go away you know whatever and um So she left one morning, um, went shopping with her her best friend. The mother did. Um, They finally track her down. This was right in the beginning of cell phones. I think she did have a cell phone. Um, They tell her that her house is on fire. She comes home, her house is burnt to the ground, and she learns that her daughter was in the house when when it burnt up. So in that state, with the fire department and EMTs bringing the charred remains of her dead daughter out of the house, um, she's arrested 12 hours later. And interviewed. Um, for 48 straight hours. 48 hours. With, with minimal breaks. She is lied to. She's told she failed a polygraph. She's told that her fingerprints are found on evidence that doesn't exist. She's told that uh, a test for accelerants on her hands and her body and her clothing has come back positive. All these things are false. Just
0: flat out fabricating. I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that that's perfectly legitimate. If you follow the read technique and you follow what the what the police are permitted to do. I mean, they're like, well, they can't lie to me, can they? I was like, oh, yeah. And they do.
1: In this context, this woman, if you listen to the tapes and these confet- this interview, as you pointed out earlier, was video and audio taped. In this context, the police officer finally says, look, client, and she has said she didn't do this 150 different times. And I
0: imagine what I would do too. I would, I would write down every every time, every second, every moment she said I
1: didn't do it. Well, are you sure you didn't do it? I didn't do it. What about this? I told you I didn't do it. Well, is this a possibility? I told you I didn't do it. Well, could this be? I didn't do it. And then in in, in this context, they finally say to her, look, client, what if you just don't remember doing it? And her answer is, well, if I don't remember doing it, then of course I don't remember doing it. Sure. And, and <laughs> yeah, there's no good answer to that, question. <laughs> right? right. right, right. Yeah. And 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 then they say, well, what if you, you know, people can do amazing things when they're sleepwalking. You know, what if you, what if you were sleep, what if you were sleeping at the time, or what if you were, you know, somehow, you know, not. Acting voluntarily of your, of your own volition, you know, and, and I, again, I didn't do it, you know, And well, well, if you, if you were asleep, if you were intoxicated, if you weren't, you know, clear, clear minded, what if you dreamt that you did it? And again, I didn't do it. Well, if you dreamt that you did it, how would you do it? Right. And how that's, would you do it. That's the question she started answering. Okay, well, if you want me to imagine how I would have done it if I had done this, and she starts telling them. And that's the confession that was played to the jury at this woman's trial in conjunction with an arson investigator. Of course, arson investigation is one of the junkest of all junk science.
0: I mean, it just it, if we just talk about what it is, if you don't know how the fire started, it's arson. Right. Right, that 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 is arson science in a nutshell. It
1: was it was one father passing to his son, and that son passing to his son because they were all firemen. Well, you see those burn patterns? That's called stippling, and every time you see stippling, there
0: must have been th- an there was arson, that we can't and, find, and this right? was
1: accepted as gospel. In fact, if you listen to the testimony of this arson investigator in this trial and the prosecutor's opening statement and closing, he was he wrote the Bible, literally the gospel, the Bible of arson investigation and it was accepted as gospel until the united states government had a bunch of track houses that uh that they sold to um fire departments to do oh i don't know something called scientific experiments For sure right let's check and they did they 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 they, they uh, started some of these track houses on fire with accelerants without accelerants using, quote unquote, forced sparks and, and natural causes and then arson. And guess what? The burn patterns reflected absolutely no correlation to the way the, the arson was, the way the fire was started. It, 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 there was no direct connection between.
0: And, and, and this happens in so many contexts in what we do. And, and we're going to
1: talk. Hair, tires, footprints.
0: Everything. Right. right. And you, you get this notion I actually heard it was in the context of, of a child. I was talking to a child abuse psychologist uh, who was talking about forensic interviews. And the point is r- when stuff like w- when people with authority make these assertions and call it their opinion and call it science, the, the, often there is no peer review whatsoever.
1: None. It's just accepted. I know it. When I see it. And what you're talking well, about. How do you cross-examine that?
0: Right. I know it. It's I'm, I'm right. right?
1: Five-on-one talk. I know that's a devil's uh, symbol. Well, how do you know it's a devil's symbol? Well, I can tell. Look at it. Right.
0: Look at it. I know. I'm trained. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm trained
1: trained and, by who? Well, myself and people like me. Oh, well.
0: Then it's repeated and repeated. And as we'll talk about in the next segment, that resulted in hundreds of false child abuse convictions uh, because of stuff like that. It was just accepted until all of a sudden, like the FBI decided to do some actual peer review of the science to, dare I say, follow the scientific method, not to start with the presumption that it's true, but rather the presumption that it's not.
1: The true scientific method requires people to start with a hypothesis and try to disprove it. Yes. And a single negative experiment disproves your Hypothesis. Go back to the beginning. The repeat of anecdote is not data. Yes. And
0: or worse yet, people cherry pick the data, right? They'll, they'll, they'll find the, the confirmation. The repeat of
1: cherry picked anecdote yeah. is yeah. certainly yeah. not data.
0: Yeah. And they'll, 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 it's confirmation bias. This is true. So we're going we're gonna to repeat this until it happens the way we say it happens and then presume that the exception is the rule and throw so, and out all, all the other ones where it wasn't
1: based consistent. on nothing but anecdotal proof yes we've seen this happen 10 times 100 times a 1, thousand times it could be a million times quite frankly you and i could do an experiment the, the the floor in your studio is it round or flat It's flat if we were to walk up onto the street on high street was the, is the ground round or flat it's flat if we were to walk all over ohio and then into michigan and in indiana and illinois we could do this experiment 10 million times we would get results that the world is flat. So how do we know that the world isn't flat? Well, we have one experiment. We put people up into space, they looked back at the world, and we saw that it's round. Well, sure, and <laughs> and, and even
0: more before that, there were all sorts of reasons why the really smart dudes back in history could, right. could prove it, right? I mean, things like the ship's mass sort of dipping down <laughs> over the horizon instead of just falling off, right? I mean, and but nobody wanted to accept it. And it, it, that's, a, that's a great example because everybody believed
1: it, right, everybody believed it. How did, how, How did you get an ulcer for years? Medical science told us it was because of stress. It has nothing to do with stress. Yeah. It's a bacteria. There's a bacteria that causes the the two Australian medical doctors and researchers got the Nobel Prize in medicine a few years ago because they discovered that it's not stress. It's a bacteria.
0: And back to confessions. It's interesting because I have actually talked to and I've been to seminars by folks who really understand the psychological behavior of those being interrogated. And it's not the read method that works. I mean, there, there are things you look for. And what's interesting about your story is the primary thing you expect innocent people to do is deny it immediately, immediately. So if, you, if I say, Mark, you murdered your wife, you're going to say, no, I did not. Right. And if, it, it, by and large, statistically, if that is your first response, uh, there, there, it's more often than not that you're not lying. Now, if you've you've given an ambivalent response, like, well, some explanation, why would I ever do that?
1: Well, right. That's the classic. Instead of saying no, well, what proof do you have of that? Or why would I do something like that? Too much
0: going for me. I would never kill my wife. All right, well, now that's like two points in the wrong direction immediately.
1: (laughs) Exactly. The
0: re-technique incorporates none of that. In fact, it would take your initial response and say that's normal. Now you have to attack it and go after it and uh, convince them that they're wrong.
1: And and I'll tell you, as I I was saying in Karen's case, her confession, and I wasn't the trial lawyer, I was the lawyer that handled the appeal. Um, her confession with this arson investigation, science, and she got convicted on nothing. Sentenced to the rest of her life in prison on on, on nothing. And it's, it's again, one of those instances where it, it exposes the real fundamental flaws in the criminal justice system when we go so far to convict the guilty, that the net goes too, too wide and we start convicting the innocent. And, and ask, that's why you and I are. That's
0: why we're employed. Right? right That's why we do what we do. But then it goes back to the question we ask is like, who in that case do you feel really felt that they were pursuing the wrong person or the wrong case? No one. No one. Not a one. But afterwards, everybody's willing to say, oh, we made a mistake on that one. Right. Uh, or maybe they're not. Who knows? Sometimes they write it to the grave. But it, and there's always at least one who
1: says, no, I'm sure she did it and the righteous indignation it, it's 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 always a scary scary thing and 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 you know sometimes when you're doing these cases the the bigger they get the the bigger the stakes the the more invested the government or the the state gets and they just will never back down like you said they become invested you're pot committed and we're just not going to we're just not going to go that way when we we believe we have our man we are men we believe we know what we what happened here and these people did it
0: and it, you know it's almost like i i've tried to describe it this way to people before we've all argued with sometimes it's even our spouse or our children where you just know 100 percent that they're wrong and it, not to be arrogant about it it's not that it's just that they, they, they're wrong they, they're making a mistake in something um, maybe they thought it was on tuesday but you pulled out the calendar really it was wednesday uh, there is a, there is a, a, an ability of people to go to the grave saying, no, 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 I was right. And the frustration that you feel when you're trying to convince somebody that they're wrong is sort of what we feel all the time, except it's life stakes. You know, it's like, it's like it's high stakes and it's not about winning an argument at home in the kitchen. It's about this person going to prison for the rest of their life or dying even worse
1: you know a really good example of that i know before we we started here we were talking about the the case that i did in michigan um, involving the michigan militia which became known as the hatari case a few years back and um you know they had a confidential informant tell the fbi hey look there's a bunch of guys running around in the woods dressed up in camo carrying ar-15s and there's like 10 of them and you know they get drunk around a campfire and they start saying stuff and um, and what, what kind of stuff are they saying? Or they're saying stuff like, well, we should take over the government we should start an a, a open rebellion against the government. We, you know, and, and, and how would we do that? Oh, I don't know, I, I got an idea. Oh, what's your idea, Bob? Well, my idea, uh, Steve, is to, you know, what if, we, what if we were to murder a couple of cops and then wait for cops from all over the country to come to the funeral, and then we were to shoot up that funeral, and, and we were to blame whomever, whomever you know, um, whatever group, and, you know, basically start an open rebellion. And so this confidential informant comes and tells the FBI, the FBI puts an undercover into the group, and this undercover invests eighteen months and millions, and I do mean millions of taxpayer money investigate investigating ten. People who are about as harmless to national security. Dude's drinking beer in the woods, <laughs> right. right? Camo, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, this is this is this is Billy Bob and Joe Bob hunting deer. You know, except that they're. I mean, there was the, the, the one. It was great because we played this video as part of the defense team, and there was ten of us on the defense team. And there's one guy has an AR-15, and they're doing maneuvers, right? And they're trying these military maneuvers, and of course, they would videotape it because they wanted to um, you know, critique themselves and you know, and, sure, and, and yeah. the same way you videotape a football game. right? and I'll like look, look look at the film. And um this person trips and falls and the, the, the muzzle of their AR-15 goes into the, in, into the dirt. So they like bang it and then they pick it up and they look at it like this. Like, it's all on tape. It's right? <laughs> all on tape as the guy looks down the barrel of a loaded AR-15 and, and you're like, yes, these, this, this is the paramilitary group. And, and I'll never forget the charge. Charge with seditious conspiracy. So, of course, sedition in and of itself is a conspiracy, right? It's a conspiracy to overthrow the government. Sure. So they were charged with conspiracy to commit conspiracy to overthrow the United States government. Ten yahoos in, in, uh, in, in the woods drinking beer and running around with AR-15s. It was It was the biggest offense to everything that we stand for as lawyers, right? Freedom of assembly, who you get to hang out with freedom of speech while you're hanging out with them what you get to say the second amendment right to own firearms as you are assembling with your friends or whoever and exercising your free speech rights to criticize the government of the United States do i get to own a gun while doing those things right this is this is freedom of religion because they were a religious group that had a lot of religious imagery in their in their you know in their sure. group and and then and that was my Clarence Darrow moment where i get to get to stand up in front of a jury In the united states in federal court in front of a judge who was a fantastic trial judge really really got it and make an argument that you really felt like hey this is clarence darrow standing up and talking about not just whether or not these people did it or not but bigger ideas the first amendment freedom of assembly freedom of religion freedom of speech the second amendment freedom of own guns real principles the principles that this country was founded under and the thing that drove that prosecution was the amount of money and the amount of time that they invested investigating these guys and the government would just not admit that they were wrong.
0: And I would, I would posit one more thing. You've got an underlying message to the speech that was, that they were, they were using or the content of the speech they were using. that was unpopular, right? It was
1: was offensive. Yeah,
0: people don't like the militia. And at at that particular time that was getting a lot of like, oh, these people are dangerous and this, and, and there was a, there was a cause behind it that for one reason or another gave the people deciding to prosecute a green light to go do it, irrespective of, of the obvious problems with the case. And you know maybe this is a good lesson of what's going on right now. It's like, as soon as you start regulating and prosecuting content of speech, we end up in big trouble. But uh, with that, we're gonna, we're gonna take another break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk some more about uh, really what, the meat and potatoes, what you and I like to do and uh, some of the problems we see with it and how to handle those. So Great. Uh, we'll be back here in a bit. All right, back from the break. Uh, Mark, I, we're going to get to some, some stuff here uh, about our perception on different types of cases and some of the problems, but I, I, I realized we'd never, I never asked you about the militia case and how it ended up. So
1: after a three-month trial,
0: so three months. Let's put that in perspective. Ninety days. Uh, yeah, of, of course. trial you're not days. on the weekend,
1: but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, probably whatever that is. Probably forty trial days, whatever that is, I and mean, fifty. I mean.
0: Now, other lawyers out there will appreciate that, but if you're not, if you don't do this for a living, uh, let me just give a little bit of insight. That is every workday, for three months, spent on one case, and at the same time, we are running a complete. Law practice yes. that has lots of other cases and lots of other needs and and people with needs, um, it is incredibly taxing mentally, uh, physically, and financially to be in trial for that time frame. Um, so I just wanted to put that in perspective. People hear that oh three month trial. It's like when you're the lawyer doing it, it is a mother of a of a chore to yeah.
1: do that. Yeah, I, I had one of, about a year after that that was six months, and it's just it's. It It takes a lot out of you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, So anyway, after three months in trial,
1: Um, the government rested and uh, and we filed what is commonly in federal court called a rule 29 motion for acquittal, which is where you ask the judge to say, hey, judge, there's not even enough evidence for you to continue the case at this point you shouldn't ask the defense to put on a defense you shouldn't even send this case to a jury there's not enough evidence for the case to even be considered by a jury you should enter a a directed verdict of acquittal in favor of the defendants and we had a a few days of um, of argument about that um and uh, i'll never forget my argument and the argument of co-counsel was a incredibly talented defense team Um, just really, really good, dedicated lawyers. And the judge granted the Rule 29 acquittals. And, uh, the guys walked out of this, you know, after being in custody for three years during the pendency of this case, walked out of federal court. My guy, by the way, former Marine fought in both wars in Iraq, uh, you know, decorated, not just veteran of the Marines, but combat veteran of the Marines locked up. For three years because he wanted to run around in the woods and uh, and badmouth the United States government because he didn't like the way it was going.
0: Uh, it, it, that's an incredible story and and just to, again to put some perspective on this, rule 29s do not
1: happen never
0: uh, often. I mean I've had a few uh, but in the context you're talking about, huge high bliss, high publicity case, uh a lot of government financial investment in it uh and all the reasons all the trappings to give the judge an opportunity to say you know what i'm not going to get involved in this one let the jury decide it you get a judge who does the right thing and brooms it
1: she is an incredible judge she's principled very down the middle calls fair balls and strikes and and deserves like you said steve a million points of credit for doing the right thing and having the courage and the guts to stand up to the government in this ridiculous prosecution and do the right thing and and send those guys home and acquit them.
0: Well this is my time to pivot here a little bit because we you, you mentioned something. You had a really talented defense team. Now you've been doing this uh, what's your year count now of twenty. So twenty years of this. And I've I'm 24 or whatever it is doing defense work and you had more time in the, pro- I mean, so it's a long time of
1: 50 years uh, together, I guess, Yeah, 50 yeah. years
0: together. I have seen some changes. I have seen both good and bad changes in, in the law practice. Uh, and I'm going to talk to you specifically about the kind of case that you and I first met on uh, and then sort of uh, dovetail other things with it. But uh, we, child sex abuse cases, particularly I have found, say where somebody is charged with Abusing sexually a stepdaughter or stepchild or a grandpa East or neighbor you, whatever, or, yeah, right. whatever it is, uh, they just have this particular connotation to them that uh, that in Ohio we're not allowed to specialize. I can't say I'm a specialist in child. Yeah, sexuality. we can't either. Yeah, um, but I have found that by and large the art of defending those types of cases is declining, and uh, I'm bringing this up to you because this is one how we met, and two uh, you're incredibly skilled in those areas, and I just want to get your perspective on it.
1: Well, so you and I have always talked about this, Steve, and, and you know my my perspective is is very simple, and that is that a child sexual abuse case is as different from a property embezzlement theft case as a property embezzlement theft case is different from bankruptcy. It is a totally different animal. You either do those cases or you do not do those cases and there are some very very talented criminal lawyers in michigan i'm sure you could say the same thing about ohio where if if i was charged with stealing a million dollars from my employer or selling drugs or trafficking uh guns they would be great choices but if you are not hiring a person who does sexual assault sex crimes defense and by that i mean as a regular large percentage of their practice, at least 50%, you are not hiring the right lawyer. It's that simple.
0: We we talked about this earlier, sort of uh, as we were just bantering back and forth. It's like the lawyers you're talking about, great lawyers, great trial lawyers at times, um, may not be equipped to handle these types of cases. Uh, But if you looked at what they did after say a guilty verdict, uh, there'd be a list of of things that they did with boxes next to them. You could check every single box.
1: They gave their standard opening, right? They cross-examined the victim. Um, they gave their standard closing. I mean, they did right out of their playbook, right? Yeah. Criminal defense, one on one.
0: And as we as we discussed before, it's like the problem is the boxes they need to check aren't even on the paper. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know, they don't. Right. They didn't
0: know what they weren't doing. Right. Right. That, that's the that's the problem with these types of cases. And let me dare I take it a step farther um you know there there's a lot of or there are a lot of attorneys now who are just saying i'm doing criminal defense and i think it's it's really easy in this day and age to do that Um, i had a mentor who was a argued in the supreme court known as one of the best ever Uh, and i think you did too you had somebody like that and uh, you know i learned the ropes the in the trenches doing it the hard way incrementally and in this day and age, it's all too easy just to say, I do child sex abuse cases uh, without having done one. Uh, in theory, it's you know, like you said, opening statement, cross-examine, uh, do your best with this. You know, you got science, et cetera, but you can deal with that. Uh, w- w- there's so much more that goes into it and people don't even know what they're not doing. And I'm going to ask you a little bit. Give me some, give me some thoughts on it.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I, 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 anytime I have this conversation with anyone, and I've said this to you before, I'm always reminded of the Jim Moore quote when he was the coach of the Saints, and these reporters are grilling him about football, and he was like, you guys don't, it's not that you don't know, it's that you don't know that you don't know. So like you were saying, these these lawyers that you're talking about, that it's it's not that they, it's not, the problem isn't that they don't know that these cases are different, and that you need a different Playbook where there are a different set sure. of boxes to check, um, and those boxes are numerous. And I'll talk about that in a second. It, it the, the, the but the real danger is that they don't know they don't know that. Sure, so because they, they do this with full confidence. This is how I do all my cases,
0: and successfully probably, quite large. Um, you know, Socrates, who was the smartest guy because he knew what he didn't know. I mean, that's very insightful to know what you don't know. And it would be easy for me in my criminal practice if somebody came to me with a complicated contract problem. I would say, well, you know, I don't really do that. I'm going to call up so and so over down the street. Yeah, but how a, hard could
1: it be, Steve? Why don't you just do it? This guy has a check for five grand for you to help this problem. Isn't that what, how these people that, think?
0: And that's how it works, right? Right. And, and, but it, it's easy to do that in the context of a co- totally different practice area. But this is sort of a sideways shift to the criminal practice area. It sort of it sort of connects in in a lot of ways. It is it, it, and it a, isn't. Yeah. And,
1: and and first of all, the first reason I'm convinced that they're different is because I think you and I can stand up in front of a jury. And if we're if I'm representing Steve and Steve is, Steve is accused of embezzling the money from the owner of this building, and I and I could stand up and I can give a a reasonable, believable, viable. Um, defense to the jury that you know, look, maybe Steve did it, maybe he didn't, but you know what didn't happen? The government didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, ah, right? Yes. Beyond a reasonable doubt is a theory of defense in just about any criminal case, including, I would argue, homicide. Sure. Where it's not a theory of defense is these cases. You got to be innocent. Yeah. Right. No, Nancy, you know, soccer mom. Doesn't go home to talk to Betty, you know, hockey mom, and say, you know, Betty, uh, that jury, that 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 that, you know, jury duty was fascinating. Oh, what kind of case did you have? Oh, we, you know, we had a person charged with child molestation. He was, you know, he was molesting his niece over five over a two-year period. Oh my God, that's terrible. What a dirtbag. What what happened? Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. What yeah. happened? Oh, we found him not guilty. You let a child molester go? How could you do that? Well, I wasn't convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> right, they, yeah, yeah, I'm sure no, that happens a lot. That's all not what time. happens. It, you know, it, I had a case. They have to say to Betty, Betty, I don't think the guy did it. I think he's innocent. That's what they have to be able to say.
0: That's what they have to be able to say, and that's that's a that is a fundamental difference between this and regular criminal practice.
1: What do you always like to call it? Um, a paradigm. It's shift. a paradigm. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's a
0: little shift. Um, it, I had a case where a witness was a victim, um, and that witness said. Uh, she was sure that she had the right assailant because a tree branch broke through the window and out of the tree branch dropped a fairy. And the fairy woke her up in the middle of the night and said, this person is the one who stole from you. If I took those facts into a courtroom or a prosecutor took those facts into a courtroom, uh, it, it would be laughed out summarily, but these are actual facts except it was a child sex abuse case. And the the, kid, the, the
1: the victim was a kid. The victim was a kid right?
0: in her bedroom. And in fact, did say that the tree broke through and a fairy dropped out. And, and that's how I'm so sure that Uncle Bob did it. Uh, and nobody thought twice about it. And I sat here in my conference room, scratching my head on this, on what to say and what to do with it. And it finally dawned on me. Sometimes we just got to call it like we see it. And it dawned on me that in any other context, this is total pure nonsense. Correct. So why here, why now do we have a legitimate pro- legitimate is not the right word, an actual prosecution uh going forward where somebody's gonna lose their life, literally, for the rest of their life they spend behind bars.
1: Larry Nasser, the wrestling coach at Ohio State, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Bill Cosby. That's why. Yeah. Right? Hashtag me too, that's why.
0: Yeah. And and Here's the distinction that you and I, I know, are able to make, and I pray that everybody else is too. I'm the first person to say there are awful, horrible people who rape women, who molest children, who kill people in that same vein. I mean, horrible people, but there's also false accusations all the time, and we can't just, because of the nature of what the crime happens to be, believe it. In, in in a way that we wouldn't in any other type of case
1: remember how like the the what happened to house of cards the groundswell of 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 uh negative publicity and negative attention kevin spacey got well it turns out that one of the at least one of the accusations was total bs yes and yes. and and if we have not learned our lesson from the Scarsboro Five, or nine rather, you know, from from the Duke lacrosse team. If we if we, if we continue to er, forget the lessons of history, we are of course doomed to repeat it. And and they these 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 cases, um, they have a groundswell of popular support. They in are many ways politically correct in terms of their um, in terms of the way the government looks at them. Um, we have laws. That, you and I have discussed before that are turning these cases on their head, um, where you know the, the, it's almost like you do have to go into a courtroom and prove your innocence um, because this, the deck is so stacked against you. You know the 404b evidence that is allowed in, the other acts evidence that is allowed in, the um, the the propensity evidence um, that is allowed in, the the. The syndrome evidence that's allowed in child sexual abuse accommodation syndrome that's allowed in like you said you know if 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 someone said to a prosecutor in an embezzlement case you know i think there was an embezzlement i'm pretty sure it happened i think it was steve that did it and i'm not sure when it happened or how it happened but i i i woke up the next day and the money was gone and i just felt weird, like something bad had happened to me when the person stole my money, they would laugh at that. Yeah, anybody would. Anybody would.
0: But if you just supplant child sex abuse for embezzlement, now you're in court. Now you're in a courtroom with hopefully somebody like you to defend them. Because here's the problem. The standard stuff that people would do to defend a case, as we're saying, do not apply. You used a ton of terms right there that I would say are terms of art um well isn't only- that you
1: said to me that, that somebody says to you like well i'm steve i'm interviewing you and i'm interviewing these two other lawyers well, yeah that's great i educated clients are my best clients because i know that i i stand up favorably against people doing research you know what i want you to do i want you to ask your your uh, that other lawyer uh ask him about the forensic interviewing protocol ask him what he knows about it Yeah. ask him who his expert is
0: which is another huge problem right because there's a rolodex that that we have and there are experts out there but they're not willing just to pick up the phone and 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 help anybody out but they certainly have no expert nor
1: do they know they need one that's, right. the that's the they, problem they don't even know they need the expert i mean yeah. what do you need to do to combat these cases you need to start by knowing that you have to put on a defense yes that your client in 90 percent of the cases is going to have to waive his right to remain silent and testify which means he's going to be able to have to give a direct and he's going to have to be able to survive a cross-examination and he's going to have to look at the jury the way i'm looking at you and I, and he's going to have to say i didn't do this all right and then you need to supplant that how do you supplant that any way you can Every case is obviously different, but sometimes you need a medical testimony. This girl claims that she's six years old and she was violently sexually assaulted, but there's no sure. physical findings.
0: Now, here's what's interesting. If I just ask somebody off the street, and, and maybe not everybody, but there's a large part of the population that has been somewhat brainwashed by this, where if I said to you, uh, this little girl's hymen is still intact, uh, you get the standard answer, I do, out of prosecutors, out of therapists out of caseworkers well
1: that's not indicative that's of anything. not indicative of anything right. which actually is, it's diagnostic is the word right? or diagnost- not, that's not diagnostic of anything so
0: right? it doesn't always mean all right well 99.99 percent of the time if somebody has been raped the way this they said they were raped in this case you wouldn't expect that right but they're not willing to look at it in the other way uh or
1: of course it, girls tear their hymen getting on a bike Right. Right. But this right. violent sexual assault they're going to claim is right.
0: Right. But, just just happened to be one in a million right. where this person, uh, this adult male, uh, didn't do anything to this little girl's hymen. Now, I know we're talking graphic stuff here, but this is the stuff that people accept. And I've even heard other attorneys who are on the defense side accept it, where I'll get called and I'm sure you have too. Uh, there is a forensic interview. And by forensic interview, what we're talking about is a kid in a room with somebody who is ostensibly trained to
1: ask questions. Well, at least supposed to be trained.
0: Supposed yeah. to be trained. And and they ask a child questions, and they get responses. And, uh, and presumably, they get an allegation. And uh, there's a prosecution premised on it. And I've had people bring in interviews and put the tape in, stick the DVD in, whatever it would be. And they say, oh, man, this is, this is a horrible case. It is very believable. Uh, it is that we're in trouble. And then I watch the interview, and I say to myself, well, there's." There's all sorts of problems. There's here.
1: no alternative hypothesis testing. Right. There, the, there are leading questions. Um, the, interviewer s- and um, the interviewer suggests and introduces topics. The interviewer suggests and introduces the idea of abuse or sexual assault. All, the, all four of these things, by the way, are things that are strictly forbidden by the protocol. Yes.
0: And this is not just defense attorney malarkey. No. These are these are psychologists, by and large, who are looking to prosecute people, who have done studies on this stuff, and these things matter. And when those protocols are violated, uh, it means that you are creating a perfect culture for a false allegation. And, and people get prosecuted on that all the time. And again, back to the point, their attorneys don't know it. Uh, and, and that's where... Uh, I pick up the phone and I call a psychologist. I call Mark Sitao and say, look at this with me. I mean, I firmly believe, and I've said this, I mean, I've been doing this 20, 25 years, I guess. And I still get other opinions, other help from everybody I can on these cases, because the, I, I, I firmly believe that a team of qualified attorneys, experts, investigators is absolutely necessary.
1: and and and, you know steve the 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 key word you use there is team right you you know how many times have you and i both talked about the idea of hiring a former prosecutor to cross-examine our client how many times have you and i done a mock trial where yeah i know the case you and i um met on you know we brought in a national jury consultant we paid students to come in and sit as jurors. We we videotaped the mock trial. I, you know, I played the prosecutor, you played the defense lawyer or vice versa. I don't even remember. It's been 10 years, but, yeah. you know, we did all of that. You know, we, you know, there are things that you can do to, to try and flip the script to, to turn these cases back in your favor, but they don't start in your favor. The moment they read that indictment, the moment they read that felony information, the moment they read the charging document to the jury that, 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 that Steve Palmer or Mark Sittawa is charged with criminal sexual conduct in the first degree or whatever the this, this same offense is called in Ohio, those jurors are like, this guy molested what? a kid?
0: And we know that because you and I have done focus groups together. We're the first thing we write. Rape child. Right. And the reaction you get out of anybody without knowing any more than that is dirtbag, scum, horrible, castrate. I mean, just do it. Uh, and... It, it,
1: I think that is the of all the things we do look experts are critical you need an expert in the forensic interviewing protocol you need an expert if they're going to talk about child sexual abuse accommodating accommodation syndrome you need an expert in it you need a medical expert if there are any kind of medical findings you may need a dna expert you know there's the 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 the, the, the list of experts is limitless you, you you may need a nurse you may need a sexual assert sexual assault nurse examiner working for you it, it's limitless you know, you need to uh, you need to prepare your client for direct and cross. You need to interview witnesses that can talk about the relationship between your client and the kid who's claiming the sexual abuse, and give them positive examples of when this just could not have been happening. You need to dismantle their case every possible way you can. But I I am convinced, and I think you are too, that the most unique and important part of our trial preparation. You do it, I do it, and I know we do it a lot together. We help each other out. And that is that mock trial focus group process where we bring people in, we get out a whiteboard and markers or post-its, and we start writing. And it is a magical process because at the end of that, and it typically takes all day, I mean, it's a six-hour session. It's exhausting. It's completely exhausting. And at the end of that process, you and I have never failed to look at each other and say, that's the key to the case.
0: And we didn't, we we may have known about it, but it wasn't at the top of the list yet. And, and we, we are then able to take a different, change our direction if we need to, or stay on the same direction if we're on it. But at least assess and reassess and reassess with a proper Uh, study of the case with proper feedback of the case and really that focus group you you taught me that and there is nothing no substitute for that that I know of
1: I I, it's failure to do it I would go so far as to almost say it's malpractice at this point knowing what it provides me and and I would never go to trial on a case of this magnitude without doing it at at this point you uh, you and I are completely on the same page about that And, and and I'll tell you Steve that that ultimately you 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 must find this is a kid it's a kid coming to the court and on a a witness stand and and testifying that somebody sexually assaulted them and you got to you have to identify the, the the emotional hot buttons to the extent they exist both good and bad for your case bad because you have to address them good because you have to emphasize them and if you don't you're, you're really putting your client in a really, really difficult position. And, and here's the other thing. Um, people ask you, I'm sure they ask me, they ask us, you know, like, you're an expert in this kind of stuff. Like, isn't it true that sexual assault is the most underreported crime? And it, it, it is. It, it is the most unreported un- crime. But you know what it also is? By overwhelming statistical evidence. I know the, the answer, most, but I'm going to let you take it. It's the most it. overreported crime. Yes
0: more false accusations at least even even in my non-empirical study of my practice over the years i find more people falsely accused in this realm than any other
1: and of course there's a reason for that yeah. if, if, if because there's always a question as to whether the crime itself even occurred in an embezzlement case your law firm either lost a million dollars or it didn't and if if it didn't lose a million dollars you can't go to the police and say i lost a million dollars because it's it's in the bank it's there in a, a homicide case there's either a dead body or there isn't. Right. All right. In an assault, there either is injuries or there, in a, in a, in a you know, there, there, the what, what, what lawyers in law school call the corpus or the corpus delicti of a crime, exists independent of the testimony. Right. There is a, there is, there is a harm. There is a crime that that exists. It is the one case. There are a few others, child yeah, abuse and others. We, but, we could come up with some others. But, but it's yeah. the one case where the corpus of the crime has to be established by the victim before the victim even starts to talk about who did it, how they did it, et cetera. And, yeah. and it so it, it it almost logically follows that, of course, it would be the most overreported crime.
0: Well, there's good news here. And, and we there's lots more we could talk about, uh, and I'm sure we will at some point, uh, perhaps again in the future. But the good news here is is that there are people like you uh, who go around and defend these cases and can help. I know I have been consulted on these types of cases. You are uh, regularly consulted on these types of cases. Uh, You've actually traveled all over the country to work on these types of cases, and you've made a practice of it. Um,
1: Both as a consultant or actually being the lawyer. I mean, you know, I've done cases in Atlanta and Illinois and Ohio, uh, and a lot of points in between. But I also get hired to be a consultant to help other lawyers prepare the cases. And and I, I've done it with you. And right. look, I've got a
0: big ego. I said it from the outset. Right? Right. I wouldn't do this if I didn't have a big ego and, and the need to be uh, the guy on Front Street. We have to check our egos. Even you, even me, even if you've done lots of these, I urge everybody to get some help, a second pair of eyes, preferably a second pair of eyes, who has experience, who knows what they're doing, uh, hopefully uh, more even than I would know and can offer insight that I'm missing. Because again, we we're talking about uh, people's lives and, and sort of the core of our, our being. This is what we do, it's why the
1: system exists. So, I tell potential clients, I'm not the only lawyer in Michigan that can do this, all right? But there's not a lot of us. There's five to 10 of us. And if you're interviewing anyone besides the five to 10 of us, <laughs> you're, you're not hiring the tip of the pyramid. You're not hiring the best, and and I'm sure this, the 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 same can be true of you in Ohio. That you sure. know you're not the only one, but there's not it's, a lot of you. It's a short list, right?
0: Uh, well, if they want to get Mark Sitala, uh tell us how we reach Mark Zitawa up in Michigan.
1: So two four eight. Three five six eight three two zero is the office phone number. See,
0: I love it. Criminal defense lawyers—we still give our phone numbers out because people <laughs> need to make a call and get us, right? <laughs> right. It's like, like I was thinking. All right, here we go. Here's this web page or whatever. But no, you give your phone number. I love it. Because- well, and,
1: the, and the, the funny thing is, the web page is so easy to remember. The web page is protecting your future. Info. Um, so, I mean, you know that that should have. Rolled off the tongue, right? Protecting your future info. Um the email address, Mark at Satawa Law, S A T A W A L A L L L A W dot com. But again, um it's uh it's funny how we are so programmed and it's a really good point. We've been talking for an hour now, and at the end we come up with this thing where we're, we're talking about how jurors are programmed, how police are programmed, and everyone is programmed, and you ask me, how do you get a hold of me, and I, I'm so programmed, I give a phone number, right?
0: All right. Well, with that, we got to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, Mark, for coming down. Uh, I think this has been an awesome episode of Lawyer yeah. Talking. I had a great time. Uh, it. it uh, anybody who needs help, they now know who to call. <laughs> thanks, so, Steve.
1: Yeah.